Take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're in a series called Christmas Dreams, looking at the dreams that are embedded in the Christmas story. Here's the key concept for today. Let God redirect you. Let God redirect you. Today, the dream that we're going to notice is the dream that the Magi had that warned them not to go back to Herod and report to him about the Christ child that they found. You know, you can bring this mic down just a little bit. I'm just getting a little bit of feedback. Thank you. This is a dream of protection, protecting both the Christ child and most likely the Magi. One author writes about a dream, dream of protection that involved the experiences of his daughter, Bethany. She was driving with some friends, all young adults in a car, and they were going a little bit faster than they should have been going, when one of the girls named Jody said, I had a weird dream last night. I dreamed that we were in a car wreck, and I was the only one that survived because I was the only one wearing my seatbelt. And with that, you heard a bunch of clicking of seatbelts going on in the car. And they, they went on their way, all seemed fine, until not long after that, the driver swerved to avoid something that was in the road. The car spun, hit the median, and flipped. And the police responded, and when the police responded, uh, no one was seriously hurt. But the officer said this, if you guys hadn't been wearing your seatbelts, this would have been a lot worse. And they all were thankful for Jody's dream of protection. Well, there's one here, right here, Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 12. It says there about the Magi, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, there's not a lot of information there. Did they all have the dream? Or did just one person have the dream and report it to the others? Did the dream involve an angel like we see Joseph's dreams involve? We don't, we don't know. The information is not given to us. But we do see that the dream was intense enough and it was believable enough that it redirected their, their journey and changed their route. The Magi paid attention to that dream. So what do we know about these Magi that we talk about each Christmas season? Well, we know that one of the distinctive factors about them is how far they have come to see the Christ child. Go back to the beginning of chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. They have come, and they have come a long way. It's impressive the distance that they've covered to come and worship the Christ child. We're not exactly sure, but most experts would say that they probably come from the area that we would now call Iran. And if that's true, then they've come around 1,500 miles. That's a long journey, even in a car. It's not easy on a camel. And I can imagine the conversations they would have had with their neighbors as they were packing up their caravan and getting ready to go. And the neighbor comes out and says, where are you going? I don't know. How far are you going to travel? Not sure. How long will you be gone? Actually, I can't say. And you're the wise men? <laughs> now, it's interesting to see that Matthew, who, who writes the most Jewish of all the Gospels, 
whose gospel is intended with an audience of Jewish believers in mind, it's interesting that he's the author that emphasizes the fact that Gentiles came to worship Jesus. He doesn't tell us about the shepherds in the field. He doesn't tell us about the angelic visitation in the skies. He tells us about these Gentiles who travel a long way to meet Jesus. And I believe that Matthew is trying to make an impression upon his first Jewish believer readers, and that is this. This is for everybody. This is for the whole world. The events of the Christmas story will impact everyone This is for all who survive, all who live. Now, how is it that the Magi come to know about the Messiah anyway? How is it that they looked into the sky and when they saw what they thought was a new star, they knew what to think and they knew what to do? None of this is answered for us. Now, there are those who have drawn together some educated guesses, and most of those guesses relate to who the Magi were. You see, they were scholar astronomers who spent time pulling together information from various sources, various religions, various mystical writings, spent time scanning the heavens, looking at the stars, believing that what they saw in the skies foretold human events. It seems like they blended a little bit of astrology, a little bit of dream interpretation, various mystical writings from all sorts of sources, and they came up with a learning that, they, that they, they held to. They're called magi, from which we get our word magic. However, by the time uh, that the Babylonian captivity of the Jews took place, and for the years after that, they had access to the Hebrew Scriptures as one of their sources of information. They had also access to generations of Jews who did not go back to the Holy Land when the return was available to them. And so they had commentators and they had advisors. And being scholars, they studied in detail the Hebrew Scriptures. Maybe some of them became God-fearers or at least seekers after the one true God. But certainly they studied the messianic prophecies. They saw it clearly. They came across a verse like Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And they saw not only a prophecy of a king, but the call to watch the stars for a sign for the king. And their search led them to Jesus. God met them in all of this. You see, blending different religions and different uh, sources of thought is not the way to find ultimate truth. Scanning the stars is not the way to find ultimate reality. In, In truth, you have to look to the one who put the stars in place. But yet, even though they had so many areas where they were kind of doing things the wrong way, still God met them in their journey. He whispered to their hearts the wonderful history-making events in a little place far away. See, in the Magi, we see the wisdom of seeking after what is ultimately important, even if you get your pathway confused a little while. The importance is keep in motion, keep moving. See, it was common in that day to think that events in the heavens talked about events on earth. So a new star, a strange star, something happening in Judah. But they missed Micah 5 too. 
which says exactly where Jesus would be born, the Christ child would be born. They miss the verse that says, in you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. They miss that, the exact location. And this paints a picture for me. It says, you don't have to have everything right, right from the start. You don't have to have all the answers all the time. They got a lot of stuff wrong, but they were headed in the right direction. And because they were headed in the right direction, God met them and God led them. It's true for you too. Don't allow spiritual inertia to overcome you. Don't think that somehow, well, I have it figured out and I have arrived. I don't need to go any further. There is always more to know, more to see, more to understand, more to experience about our walk with our Savior. Don't let inertia overtake you. And what's intriguing about, this story, intriguing about this story is what we don't see or the misinformation that has grown up around these magi. We really don't know how many of them there were. We talk about three gifts. It doesn't say three magi. We don't know their names, even though a tradition has grown up around that. The Bible never tells us their names. We know they were not kings, even though we sing as if they were. And we hear nothing about a lame child named Almal who shows up in one of my favorite operas later on. But these were scholarly men. These were men of action. They're ready to leave the familiar, to travel a long distance, to experience something for themselves, to see something for themselves that has grabbed their heart. And they arrive late because it was a long distance. They don't go to a stable. That's long past. They go to a house where the Christ child and his family lives, and they see Jesus not as a baby but as a child. But before they encounter Jesus, they encounter detractors. That's what I call Herod, a detractor. Because first they came to Jerusalem searching for the king, looking for a king. They went to the city, which was the capital, and somewhat politically cluelessly they started asking about where's the new king. And Matthew 2, 3 says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. See, Herod was a detractor. He didn't care about the Messiah. Detractors are a part of life. They're a part of your life. Those who will push the life-changing message of the Christmas story even out of the holiday, which is named after our Lord. Those who would silence the true Christmas message. Detractors. Herod was a detractor a detractor on steroids. He had no interest about a new king because he was the king. He wanted to hold on to the power that he had, and so when the caravan of the Magi hit Jerusalem, it was created quite a stir. They're asking some politically impolite questions, but they have no problem gaining access to the king. These were important people. These were impressive people. And so when he heard their search... He was disturbed. Everything about Herod was supersized. He had a supersized ability to uh, begin great construction projects. And still when we visit the Holy Land and and Jordan, we see these mammoth uh, palaces that uh, Herod has built. But he was always also supersized in his egotism and in his ruthlessness. He had an enormous lust for power and was jealous of anyone that threatened his control. Herod had nine wives. He had 12 children. 
over the course of his life. But his main wife, the wife that we read about most in the history books, was named Miriam. Miriam's brother was the high priest. And at one point, Herod became suspicious that the high priest was usurping some of his power. And so he had Miriam's brother drowned. And for good measure, Miriam was killed and her mother. He killed two of his sons who he thought were plotting against him. Just five days before his death, he killed a third son. And as he lay on his deathbed, he gave an order that a number of leading families of Jerusalem be arrested and executed, quote, so that there will be mourning in this city on the day of my death. Thankfully, that order wasn't carried out, according to the historian Josephus. But the point is, you don't want to be on the bad side of this guy. And so he called the Magi together, verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he said to them, where the, he asked them where the Christ child was to be born, in Bethlehem in Judea. See, the priests knew the prophecy. They knew the answer immediately. They knew what the Magi had missed. They promptly answered the question, there's where he's going to be born. But the problem is that's the wrong question. The right question would be, who is this king they're talking about? And if he would have asked the who question rather than the where question, he would have gotten a better answer. He would have heard the answer something like this, his origins are from of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. That's the rest of Micah's prophecy. It shows how futile it is to be a detractor to the things of God. But he never heard that answer because he asked the wrong question. But because of his jealousy, the Magi were in danger. Pick up the reading in verse 7. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. See, the Magi were seeking a king to welcome him and to worship him. Herod was seeking the king to eradicate him. Now, there's no indication that the Magi sensed any of this from Herod. It seems that they are fine with the arrangement, so they go to Bethlehem. But if they would return, they would be in real danger. Herod would be happy to kill this child and happy to do away with the witnesses. But the dream sent them in a different direction. And before they had that dream, they worshipped the child. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. These are important men who've traveled a long distance. They're able to get audiences in the palace, yet they come to a humble house with a child who doesn't look like a king. Mary's eyes probably were wide at the wealthy and the entourage that came. They all showed up on her door. All of a sudden, she saw gold. They gave the child gold, the most expensive metal to represent his worth and his worthiness. They gave him frankincense. It's incense used in worship, representing prayer. They gave him myrrh, which was an embalming spice. And in those gifts, the story is being told of the coming of this Christ child. It's likely they didn't understand the significance of those gifts. They were just things that came into their mind that they would want to give to, to, to this important child. But God the Father understood the significance of those gifts. 
And he prompts them to give specifically the gifts that tell the story that's unfolding. A king has come, a king who's worthy to be worshipped, a king who will die. And the story is there. And after they worshipped, they dreamed. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They didn't know what was in Herod's heart, but God knew what was in Herod's heart. And to their credit, the Magi trust a God-inspired dream rather than the promises of a human king. And they let God redirect them. The author Mark Batterson writes about a friend of his named Curtis Parks. Curtis is a musician, and he longs to use his talents for the Lord. But by day, he works for a delivery company. But he would often sing, lead worship at church on a volunteer basis. He would lead worship at camps and those kinds of things. And one day, he lost that delivery job. And so he's worried about how he's going to make ends meet and pay his bills and that kind of thing. And that night or one of the nights soon after that, he had a dream. And he had a dream that he was leading worship in a particular church in Charlottesville, Virginia. He'd visited this church before, so he, under, you know, he could picture the, the sanctuary. He was leading a particular song called Salvation is Here. It's a Hillsong United song that he loved. He didn't think much about that dream the next day when he got up, but over the course of the day, the pastor of that church called him and said, you know what, we need you to fill in if you're willing. Our our worship leader can't make it on Sunday. And so he went to that very church that he, he was dreaming about. And in the song set that they had prepared and rehearsed in advance was that very song that he was leading in his dream. And the honorarium that they gave to thank him for coming that day was the exact amount he needed to make the mortgage for that month. And he comments on it this way. He says, it was powerful to see how God was aware of my anxiety. God was aware. God is aware. Why? Because God cares. Because God sees. And because God loves. And he cares and he sees and he loves you. He's paying attention to your anxiety. You can lift that up in prayer to Him. So what do we learn about seeking and finding from the Magi? Number one, we learn this. If these men can find Jesus, so can you. I mean, think of the distance. Think of the the language difference. Think of the travel, the hostile kings. It wasn't easy for them to find Jesus, but Jesus is right here for you. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. He's a prayer away. Secondly, we we learn that wisdom is to act to find hope. The Magi acted on what they saw and what they heard, and they were heading towards hope. See, when you find Jesus, you find more than a child. You find hope because all of us are separated from God due to our own sin. And there comes a point When the whisper comes to our heart and it says you need to make that right, you need to get right with God, and it can happen because of this child who grew up to be a man who died on the cross so that God's justice would be served. But he died in our place, taking our guilt on himself, and he rose from the dead, demonstrating that he was who he said he was, God the Son, and forgiveness can be yours. Move towards hope. Thirdly, we learn you don't have to have everything perfectly right in the perfectly right order for things to turn out right in the end. Jesus will meet you. He wants you to be in motion. 
He wants you to be moving, moving ever toward Him. And He says to all of us, Seek me while I may be found. Would you bow for a word of prayer? Lord, we're all in different places spiritually. We all need to find maybe a different thing from you. Direction, decision, security. For some of us, possibly initial forgiveness. Thank you that you will meet us. Help us move in the right direction, ever toward you, ever deeper. Help us to move toward hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.